Hey, it's Jess, and welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast. It's my personal mission to guide you toward your greatest potential. So come along with me as we explore living with courage, or as I put it, living HeartStrong. Welcome to the HeartStrong Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. On today's episode, I'm actually going to share a recording of a podcast where I was a guest. And the podcast is called Bounce Back. And it's hosted by this really wonderful man that I've recently met named Victor Mbimbo. And Vic is on a mission to really support family caregivers. In fact, he bought a company called Caring Today, which is dedicated to supporting the physical and emotional health and well-being of our nation's estimated 50 million family caregivers. That means there are estimated 50 million people in this country who are taking care of someone that they love. It could be a child like I'm taking care of, or it could be an aging parent and everything in between. But when you're, you are in a caregiving role, it's very hard to find balance in your life. Oftentimes you feel guilty when you do something for yourself. Um, and there's just the logistical challenge of finding balance when you're also in that role, frankly, a role that never sleeps. And so Vic and I talked about that very topic. How do we find personal balance in our lives when we are caregiving for someone else? Vic and I had a really frank conversation. I'm very honest and forthcoming about my own story, about my own struggles. And I just, it was just a very rich conversation. And so after I listened to it, I reached out to Vic's team and I said, and I asked if, if we could share this episode here on the HeartStrong podcast with all of you. And so I hope there's something in it where maybe you feel seen in your own story or you get an idea of something that you can do to help yourself. Or maybe you just get to know a little bit more about what it's like to be a person who is in a caregiving role. And so I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with you, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's give it a listen. Jessica, welcome to the Bounce Back family. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, I know. I am too. You know, Jessica, we've been very fortunate uh, with Bounce Back to have some incredible guests, but you as a guest, I think, are going to bring a dimension that's so important to our audience because you are an active family caregiver and have been for quite a while. And at the same time, you speak to others in terms of doing the things that can really take a situation that they're dealing with and find a good that can really not only help themselves and their families, but beyond that. So it's it, it, I can't tell you how excited I am for our audience to be able to have a chance to hear your insights. Well, I'm lo really looking forward to it. And I thank you for the opportunity. Um, you know, it's been quite a journey and I've learned a lot. And, you know, I always say I would never choose it, but I wouldn't trade it. So lots to be yeah. thankful for. Well, and there are. There are. Uh, one of the things that I heard in one of your podcasts, and as I mentioned in the introduction, the HeartStrong podcast is wonderful. Uh, and one of the things I, I heard in there is you talked about experiencing an unexpected season. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what that what that has been for you and where it has brought you, you know, to this point? And it gives us a chance to also set some background up so we can have context as a context as we go forward. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, I always thought my life would be different than it is. I think a lot of people can say that. But when I say unexpected season, you know, my life just has not been what I expected it to be. I was in my late 20s living in the city of Chicago, getting my MBA, working in an ad agency. Like I thought that was going to kind of be my path. 
Um, and my first, I've, I'm the mom to four boys. My oldest son was born with a rare congenital heart defect. And the short story, the long, the short, long story is that his name is Ethan and he lived for seven years. And of those seven years, two of those years were spent in the hospital with him. Um, we live in Illinois, but all his care was done in Boston, Massachusetts. And so we lived a distance from home many times over the course of his life. And, you know, that in because of that, I quit my MBA, I quit my job, I, I ended up just going down a path that I never thought that I would have. And, and, and there's lots of, you know, grieving that happened with that. I have two middle um, healthy boys. And then my youngest son, Bodhi, was born two years after Ethan died with a rare muscular dystrophy called muscle eye brain disease, which is very rare um, and has a lot. He, he's He's got a lot of needs. He's in a wheelchair and um, he's fully disabled. And so my life has been nothing that I expected it to be. But, you know, I have taken a lot of my gifts, which were in marketing and advertising and brand building and creation. And I've developed a nonprofit that I know you mentioned in my podcast and the HeartStrong brand. And so I think leaning into unexpected seasons in our life and experience them is naming them and saying, this is really hard. This is not what I expected it to be. This is not what I hoped for. And yet, what can I do with it to mm -hmm. impact not only my life? Because, you know, I, I can't just give myself away to others. I have to take care of myself and my family. But I, I think we're all here for something, for a bigger purpose. That's just a belief that I have. And so how can I use my story to impact the world for good? Um, and so, you know, leaning into the unexpected, that's how I've been able to do this. Now, I want to say real quick, this has been 10 years of learning to accept these things. So like, there's no pressure if you're in like day one, you're like, this sucks. That's okay. That's honest. And I have those days too. Well, you know, uh, you know, thank you for going over that story. And it's a, you know, to talk about journeys, you know, mm -hmm. it's the journeys that have, you know, highs and lows and yep. what you, you, you raise is something that, you know, many caregivers deal with. We all do in a way uh, is an unpredictability of life. Mm -hmm. And you, you have a, uh, an interesting insight in, into one of your writings that you talked about, you know, these periods, they're like almost portals, right? Mm -hmm. Where all of a sudden you have a crisis of sorts, whether it's an emotional, physical, whatever it is that raises something in your life that's not the norm. And you say that you look at those portals as being entry places mm -hmm. to become the person that you were meant to be. Now, I found that interesting because to me, it wasn't about making lemonade out of lemons or it wasn't that type of mindset at all. It wasn't that toxic pos positivity that we hear a lot about. But it was the reality that you have this time, this period, and how you access that period and how you react and how you reach out, whether it's to others or reach into yourself, start making a difference. Can you uh, really give more insight into that since those were your words? Yeah, of course. So if you think of a portal, it's like an entry place to something else. So when it, it, it could be like, you know, a doorway or in technology, it's like a website that takes us to other websites. And the idea of a portal is something that I love because when I think about my journey and I think about the things that I've gone through, listen, I, I there are so many unexpected days. There are so much frustration. I get frustrated because sometimes I get a call that my son's Bodhi's sick and I got to change everything around or, you know, and, and that's really, really, really frustrating. But what I try to take, take kind of a step back and say, okay, well, what am I learning here? And I've been doing this long enough that I can kind of, that I can see the gifts that have come up and I can see the ways that I have been able to journey 
and then help others. But here's the deal. Like, this is really a personal journey. And I think the first step to even recognizing that there's something here for me to learn is to get up close to it and get really honest about the stuff that we have. I think that's the first step because you have to be honest about this is hard. I don't know what to do with it. I'm struggling. But I know for myself that when I have looked at these challenges as opportunities, I cannot tell you. I mean, I could give this whole podcast of stories of things that I've seen it that way. I've learned to see it that way. And beautiful things have come by stepping through that doorway. Mm -hmm. And um, whether they're personal realizations or things that I've created, it's just a way of thinking through things that allows me to have hope because otherwise it's too hard. Yeah, I think, uh, by the way, I think that whole concept of reachable hope, you know, realistic hope is so important. You know, as you mentioned just a moment ago, I mean, you've had 10 years to really think your way through the the most positive aspects of what could come out of very difficult situations. Many of the caregivers that we speak to, you know, some, as you mentioned, are in the very early stages, some in the middle Mm -hmm. stages, some, you know, are at the very latter stages and who've, who've gone through that journey. Yeah. One of the things that I find with family caregivers, and it's nothing they try to do, but it's something that ends up happening is Initial, their initial reaction in early stages are like sometimes, you know, wh- you know, why me or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that victimization or, geez, I don't know if I can handle another day of this. And I li- I'd like to speak a little bit about that whole area of victimization where as we're going through this and we go through our down periods, we start making ourselves the victim. And there's a lot of baggage that comes with that in terms of how we look forward. Mm -hmm. Can you provide some of your insights, especially in your early stages of going through this family caregiving responsibility? Yeah, I think that that first of all, I want to say that's a very real thing. And there are days that I feel like a victim and I'm not going to lie to you there. It is a very real thing where I have days where I'm like, this is so hard. I can't do this another day. I'll be honest with you, Vic. My son Bodhi was up at 330 this morning and never went back to sleep. Mm. And I was tired because I went to bed at 11 because I stayed up to watch some Netflix show. And, you know, I was like, I can't do this another day. I I don't want to get up at 3.30 in the morning and have a kid that's screaming. Like, it is really, really, really hard. But listen, like, I don't want to live a life as a victim because that's a hopeless life. You know, I don't want to have that idea about myself. The ideas that we create about ourselves, the stories that we tell ourselves in our minds are the things that come to manifestation. They come to fruition. So if you tell yourself that that you're a victim, your life is going to be a life of victimhood. If you tell yourself that you are a creator and a victor and that you can overcome things, you will overcome them. It might not feel like it. You might see have to look back over several years to see it, but you're going to have the attitude and the energy that's going to move you in that direction. And to me, that's the only way to live because I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm on this earth to be miserable. I don't think that's the reason that I'm here. And so if I'm not here to be miserable and I have somewhat miserable circumstances, many, many days, I have to choose the mindset that governs my days. You know, that's that's really an interesting insight. And, you know, we've talked about storytelling on 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 our podcast, but I, I actually would like to dig into that a little bit. Um, because I feel when we tell ourselves stories, and by the way, we're the authors of our stories, and you're absolutely, absolutely right. And 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 just gang, just understand one thing that Jessica and I are not about is like uh, being Pollyannas. 
I mean, no. we had our own, we've had our discussions, you know, before we've had this podcast no. and we were talking about, you know, some things people say to you, well, you know, no one gives you more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. That's bullshit. That's right. There's a, there's yep. a lot. You're given a lot more than you mm-hmm. should reasonably be able to handle, but you yep. work your way through it. And I would yeah. like to get into this, that whole concept of story, your own storytelling a little more. You know, Jessica, could you, you know, you, you mentioned that being a victim is hopeless. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about some of the you know, valleys that you've been through and this type of stories that you've had to talk to yourself about that allowed you to have that? that hope and see forward progress being made. Yeah. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, there, there's so many, I guess it's a couple that come to mind, you know, when my son, Ethan was alive, he was such a marvelous kid. He was hilarious. He liked to put on concerts for people in the hospital. Like he was super social. He would prank the doctors. Like he was, he was so much bigger than life and his energy. And like, when he left his physical body left this earth, I was like, this, his energy can't leave. There's more to do with it. And really he taught me a lot about having joy in the midst of really difficult circumstances, just by virtue of the kid that he was and the way that he lived his life. I mean, I, you know, my husband and I, we were only married for a little over a year when he was born. So he sort of taught us so much about, living. Um, so, so I think that is, and so after he died, I was like, this can't be the, this can't be the end of the story. I was just determined that there was going to be something more to the story. And that's over time where we started the Ethan Lindbergh foundation and the Heartstrong community. And, you know, Ethan used to say something when he was in the hospital, he used to kind of go on rounds around the ICU and he would, and he said this even about his friends at school. He was like, those are my kids. Those are my kids. I got to check on my babies. And he really taught me this concept, which I didn't get until much later is that like we belong to each other and that there is something, there's something for us to do to help take care of each other. And so he was that part of him was really the impetus for us to create the Ethan Lindbergh Foundation, which, to be honest with you, Vic, I was I after Ethan died, we had lived 13 months in the hospital. We went through our savings. We leveraged all the resources that we had. And we were at the bottom of life. And we were like, but we're going to help other people. And, and, and there are many days that I was helping other people, but I couldn't help myself, mm-hmm. you know, and few people know that. And. But over time, the helping others began to help me. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like in service is what sort of peeled me out of myself and out of my victimhood and and taught me that I could create something. And then um, two years after Ethan died, you know, we, our son Bodhi came and we were like, oh, this is a new beginning. And well, I mean, he has had a very difficult medical course for eight years. And, and I guess I just continue to tell myself the story. And there are many lows with Bodie. I mean, he's gone blind in the last six months. I mean, it is there, you know, it's it's been so, so, so hard, probably harder than Ethan in some ways. But I keep telling myself because I believe that this is part of a bigger story and that Bodhi, I already see that he allows me to love people in a different way, to have more compassion for people, not just people with disabilities, people going through hard shit. And so I just want to becoming more and more of that person. And then at my best, I'm able to do that. And at my worst, 
you know, I have days where I feel like a victim and I don't want to deal with it anymore. So, but that's just being a human and being. And that's being human and that's fine. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that um, is so important when you're a family caregiver, let alone a family caregiver at some very serious levels for a fairly long time period is building mm-hmm. a support community around you. Yeah. And I like, you know, when you were going through this, especially, you know, there's a, there's an element of initial reaction, then the almost denial. Then if you're fortunate, you go mm-hmm. through a period of acceptance and moving yep. forward. But then the reality is the time consumption that all these things are really taken in your life. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, not only are you a mom, you know, you're you're you were a mom at, at this point, you know, midway through the process of three boys. Mm-hmm. Um and at the same time, you know, you had you had a career. Uh, you know, Eric, your husband, he's a he was he's a lawyer. I mean, there's a lot going on, not just that mm-hmm. focus of what's going on, you know, with Ethan. Right. You start building a community that could help support you, you know, through this process that allow you to really get some balance in your life and at the same time meet the needs of your children, you and your husband as a couple and uh, employment, whatever the case may be. And how mm-hmm. did you sustain that community? I'll be really honest with you. I think that's been one of the hardest parts of this journey is the community perspective. You know, it's interesting. Um, Ethan, the the congenital heart community that we were part of with Ethan was very tight and is very tight. And those that was really a gift. And I see that now with Bodhi. It's very different because I think kids with really severe disabilities, it's a lot more isolating. The world's not as accessible. So I think that that is really challenging. And the other thing is like, Eric and I are very independent people. We like to do our own thing, you know, and which is, which has sustained us very well. So I think I've struggled with that somewhat, but you know, we are very fortunate. We have wonderful parents and siblings who are very supportive and very loving and have always been as supporting supportive as they possibly can be. Um, and that's such a blessing um, on both sides. And we have friends who really do love us. And if we really need something, we can ask them for help. I think what is challenging in the world around us is that there isn't enough structure framework for respite care for because there's only so much that you can do within the four walls of your home and there's only so much that your friends who love you dearly or your family who love they have their own lives to live and so i you know one of the things that i talk a lot about in the work that i do is sort of the healthcare industry you know our employers um the way that we do education i think that there are so many opportunities to do it better which is frustrating to me but it's we can't do it alone and so um, while it's great to have the people that we have, I think that there's more work to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, the whole concept of asking for help is a difficult one for family caregivers. It's hard. Um, usually they don't do it until they're putting their hand up on this, their, their second time after they've submerged in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's saying, you know, I, I'm coming close to an end point here. I need some help. Because, yeah. you know, the one thing that is uh, fleeting is this concept of me time, whether that's 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, something that you can do for yourself that just allows you that, you know, you called it respite. And usually Mm -hmm. you like to have it a little bit more than 15 minutes, but at least some interruption that gives you a sense of yourself. 
Yeah. Did, was there, did you, I mean, I know you were a person who used to like to run, do different mm-hmm. things, uh, uh, you know, athletically. What did mm-hmm. you, what is your me time, you know, your little me time um, isolation that allows you a chance to get a deep breath? Well, I think it's been a couple of things. I mean, for sure, it's been physical activity, been exercise, meditation. I'm a person that I will steal time by waking up early in the morning, even on the weekends. And I'll have to have some like a cup of coffee and, you know, I'm a writer. I like to write. That's how I get a lot of my ideas or I'll go for a run or I'll do something like that. I think that's a really, I'm a really, I, I, I think for me, like I have to be quiet and still in myself to be able to navigate the life that I have. So I know that I have to make time for that. I get kind of crabby when I don't have it. Um, so that's something that I've tried to create space. And then I will tell you like the gift of creating the foundation and everything that I've done is that I have a very active, curious mind. And so I need to be creating something. So part of my self-care, as crazy as it sounds, has been working and creating the things that I have Mm -hmm. created Mm -hmm. because they have really sustained me through these experiences. Well, first first of all, I don't think that's that's, uh, crazy at all because you know, I was going to get to this a little later in the podcast, but I'll flip it around a little bit because it's it's dead on uh, message. Those things that you talk about, whether the foundation or the shop or the podcast, it's also, I'm sure, reflecting and reinforcing your sense of purpose. Yes. Which at the end of the day is an incredible, I would almost say, um, solution or remedy for well-being mm-hmm. and you know talk about your you know your finding your sense of purpose as you are going through your journey and going through your journey yeah i think it's really important to find a sense of purpose in as a human in general in this world but especially if you go through something difficult you know there's a book by bruce filer i don't know if you know he's in, mm-hmm. he was on, he's been on my podcast but it's basically about making meaning of your story i think humans are desperate to make meaning of their stories i know i have been because you, the question that comes was like why is this happening to me and what does this mean and you know is it just hopeless end of despair or is there something here for me i mean these are normal human questions that we're all asking and so for me you know cre- creativity and creation has been the thing that I have used. And what's interesting too, is like, I'm old enough now where I can see the through lines through my life. So like I was in ad, you know, I worked in advertising and marketing and I did some pharmaceutical sales. So I worked in a, for a pharmaceutical company and then I did some more brand work. And so I've taken all those things and used it in being a mother and being an advocate and running a nonprofit. Um, so, you know, maybe nothing is wasted. Maybe it all kind of fits together. I'm still figuring that out. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't, th- I think that is, that's, that's an interesting statement. I don't think anything is wasted. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how many times something comes up and you're thinking about it and you go, my God, I went through something like that, like three years ago, you know, and how, yep. you know, how did I get through it at that point in time? You know, it's almost like as an athlete, you know, you have a muscle memory, Yes. You do have that same thing as a caregiver or as a, as a human. I mean, Mm -hmm. very, very little is wasted in terms of our experiences. You know, one of the things that I probably preach at nauseam, uh, at least most people who know me tell me that is the importance of self-care. Yeah. Right. As family caregivers, we many times, as you know, Jessica, we put ourselves on the back burner when it comes to that. Yeah. 
What is your practice and say even yours and Eric's practice of self-care um, and ensuring that you're, you know, you're banging away at all cylinders. So you don't have that, you know, everybody uses the metaphor of the oxygen mask, but it, it is so yeah. true. God forbid something happens to you or to Eric, you know, there's a, a, a much greater consequence, especially in your situation. Yeah. I mean, that feels heavy a lot of the times. I will tell you, honestly, Vic, sometimes we're good at it. And a lot of times we're not. And we're kind of in this season where we're actually trying to find some extra help for Bodhi because we really are at this place where we really need it. Yeah. And um, especially with summer coming, that that's a pretty tough season. So again, it, it's a lot of stealing time for me. So exercise, um, you know, meditation, prayer, time with friends. But you know, it's really interesting. And I, I kind of experienced this this year. I am really like, a really good advocate for my kids or for other kids. Like I, I will go toe to toe with anybody. I will get the appointment, but I decided that I was going to seek out an integrated healthcare provider for myself just to check out my labs, to check out mm -hmm. diff different supplements I could be taking to optimize myself. I've had some recurrent shoulder pain, which I know is related to stress and carrying Bodhi. And it's like, I put off those appointments for myself or when yeah. they couldn't be at times when I needed them, I was like, Oh, well, I'll just wait. And I was like, wait a second. You are like a badass advocate for everyone else, but you got to do it for yourself. And I think that it's so easy to, when you're in a caregiver mode, it's almost like, you, it's just like the muscle memory of caring for everybody else. Yeah. And we're just used to it. And I, we're almost in a culture that expects it, you know, like the doctor's like, well, can you come Tuesday at 11 a.m. and you're and, and you're supposed to drop everything that you had planned at 11 a.m. to show up there. I now will say, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. This, this is a time that does. Mm -hmm. We we have to take I think as caregivers, you have to take some of your power back. And that's something that I am working on in my own life. And that does include some self-care that um, is always it's always something that we think about and try for. But it's something that we struggle with. Yeah. And, and gang out there listening, uh, you know, what this should all be so far reflecting is everything you feel is normal. Yeah. Don't let anybody kid you and say, you know, that it's in your head or that, you know, you're bet uh, one of the things that I'm sure Jessica will agree to. And if not, I'm going to edit it out. So you do agree to it. <laughs> is that is is that, that guilt just oh. sometimes rips you apart because it you does. start thinking of yourself as Jessica saying, all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm telling everybody, right. Go to the doctor, get this checked out, get that checked out. And what are you doing? You're putting yours on the back burner. The minute you start thinking of yourself, some, uh, sometimes you start fearing terribly, feeling terribly guilty that you're actually thinking of yourself first when there is yeah. nothing wrong with that. I mean, how, 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 I'm sure you've experienced some of this. Oh my gosh. I experience it all of the time. And you know, one thing I have to remind myself with my son Bodhi is like, and, and this is sort of a belief that I have. And so, you know, I'll just share it if, if it resonates with anyone. But for so long, especially with my son, Ethan, I felt like it was my job to conquer his illness. Like we went to Boston for his care. We did innovative care. We sought out the best doctors in the world. I gave up my job. I went to, he was in every kind of therapy. We did alternative therapy. I mean, we just did everything for him. And it, it paid dividends and it was wonderful, but it also took a toll on me. 
And what I'm, I'm in the second round with Bodhi. So I have a little bit of a different perspective. And with Bodhi, it's like, I am going to give him everything that I can, but there has to be a limit because I also have to be able to be available to take care of him. And so we don't overly do therapies and we do our best that we can with the things that he has, but we probably could do better. But like, this isn't, this isn't a utopia. We're human beings. We have other children. We prioritize our other kids sometimes. And so it's kind of like I've learned more of a balance, but the guilt is very real and it's something that I am working on. But here's the deal. If Bodhi's a value, I'm also a value. So if you're the person that you're taking care of and who is vulnerable, that's what's hard. They're vulnerable. And so we want to protect them and take care of them. And we will do that to the detriment of ourselves all of the time. The problem with that is it's not sustainable. And so we have to maybe we give 75% instead of a hundred or 50% some days. And we, it's like, almost like we have to give ourselves some grace and say, you know, this is the best that I can do. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, that sustainability comment is very important because yeah. you know I call it emotional porpoising. And mm. the first time I said that to somebody, they said, you must've been in marketing. And <laughs> that's one thing Jessica and I do share. Yes, we do. And it really wasn't about marketing, but I know when I have my greatest difficulties, Jessica, I do emotional porpoise, meaning that I go a high and I don't do anything and anything and anything and anything and mm -hmm. anything. And I'm at a very crash point. And yeah. then I start building myself up again. And then because you you because you're not doing the, the things that sustain you on a daily basis you're yeah. doing everything you're a hundred percent in the direction of someone else and you're letting yourself go until you just can't sustain it any longer and that yeah. is that is very unhealthy right i mean if you were a person suffering with diabetes that's exactly what you don't want to have happen. You don't want to have your levels go up and down and up and down. You want to try to create as even a line as possible. And yeah. as family caregivers, that even line is to try to achieve it and to work at it is so important for your emotional well-being. It is. And I think it comes down to self-worth. I think it's very easy to think that, you know, our role is always to be in the giving. I actually hate, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Vic. I actually hate the caregiver word because yeah. I think that it's so, it, it's almost like we're, it's this idea. You're the caregiver. You're supposed to take care and be a giver at all times. And I don't know what the right word is. I thought about this a million times and I'd love to come up with a word and like start a marketing campaign for it, but something that's more empowering, yeah. like, CEO of whatever. I don't know, but there it, it's just, we have, it's not an empowering word. And so like inherent in that idea of being a caregiver is that you're not caregiving yourself, that you're just supposed to continuously give. It's just not sustainable. And then back to the idea that we don't necessarily have the societal supports for people to be able to. So, so I think you have to do that for yourself as hard as it is. You have to feel worthy in your own self enough to take care of yourself too, even if the other person doesn't get everything they need at every moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Kristen Neff, we, we were, she was, uh, we were fortunate to get her as a guest uh, and she wrote the books on self-compassion. Mm. Um, do you practice self-compassion? Does Eric practice self-compassion in a true sense of the word? I think we do now. I don't think necessarily that we've always been good at it. Um, but 
now we do because we've been doing this for so long and we've been through so much. And here's the thing too. And I always say this, like there's the one thing that happens. So it's your family's, you know, the person that you love's illness or their situation, but there's all these ripple effects, right? And the longer you do it, the more ripple effects there are. And so that's when self-compassion becomes so important. It's like, I'm doing the best that I can with what I have today. And I'm going to get up tomorrow and try again. And, you know, the other piece is like, things tend to work out and Mm -hmm. driving yourself into the ground and being hard on yourself doesn't serve anyone or especially yourself, but also the person that you're taking care of. So I, I, yes, we do practice that. We're very much believers in that, but we're not always good at it. Yeah. The, uh, but I think, look, just that number one, you're aware of it. And number two, that you practice it, even if it's on occasion, I think when you add, combination of self-care, self-compassion. The one thing you said that was so important, right, is your belief, your inner belief is that you were not put on this earth to not be happy. Yep. So it's putting those tools in your life, whether they're self-care, self-compassion, taking time, acceptance. Mm -hmm. So you can find a journey, a pathway to be had, a portal to be happy. Yeah. And I think happy is, you know, we have this sense that like, if we feel good, things are good. I mean, sometimes things are hard and we can still find joy in them. You know, I think that happiness is an interesting word to think through, like, but I think it's again, back to it's our choice. It's the story that we tell ourselves. It's the way that we decide to live our life and the way we surround the people that we surround ourselves with. Like, like, you know, sometimes it's hard because everyone else has a much more spontaneous life than I do. I mean, before Eric and I had kids, like Eric's, family traveled all over the world. They sailed. I mean, he's a very spontaneous person. I mean, we both love to go out into the world, meet interesting people, go do fun things. Like our life is does not allow for that. Um, But we've done that in other ways. We've done that through our nonprofit. We've done that through other things that we've created. So we found ways to do it. Um, But it's okay to say, I'm kind of disappointed in that. Like, gosh, I would like to be going to Spain this summer like everybody else or or having wine with the neighbors at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Like, that's okay to say that. And and it's okay to be honest about that, too. The um, And I hope if, if this is too personal a question, you can just uh, tell me to mind my own damn business. Mm-hmm. You'll be one of about 10 people today who've told me that. <laughs> um, the um, life balance is really important. And I know one of the mm-hmm. things that's very difficult for a lot of couples is when they're dealing with significant issues, especially health issues, it's so easy to grow apart, right? Uh, To allow personal resentment and a lot of different things start entering the equation and to make it really uh, an environment that you have to work at. How has, I mean, not only going through Ethan's, you know, traumatic life, and Mm -hmm. albeit a very short life, and now dealing with, with Bodhi, how have you and Eric had to really work through, you know, to have the, the very strong relationship that you do have? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's, I'll be really honest, it's a challenge. It's not easy. I mean, there's nothing easy about it. I think there's a couple things that have helped us do it. I think the first is after Ethan died, I mean, we worked with a life coach for 18 months after he died. Every Tuesday night we worked and he was a grief expert. And that was so helpful to us because 
you know, men and women, humans grieve differently. And we did, and we needed someone to walk us through that. And so that investment in our relationship was very important. Um, you know, Eric said, we, we did a podcast together and he said, you know, he's like, he always says this. So this is his quote, but he's like, men are like puppies. You just have to tell them what to do, you know? So, but he's like, at some point I figured out that like, I had to just, I had to take the initiative to, grow as a human. And this is what I think, because he knew I was going to do that. And this is what I think for any marriage, but especially in this situation, it's like you have to have two growing people. You have to have two people who are on parallel lines going forward, because if that if not, it's going to be really, really hard to make this work. And each of you has to decide that you want the best for the other person person. So whatever that looks like, if it's, it means that like, I need to travel for the foundation and like, here's a good example. Bodhi gets off the bus early today and I'm sitting here with you. Eric came home to be able to get him off the bus so that I could do this podcast. I mean, because he's supporting me and you know, I'll take care of the kids after school because he's got to go back to work or there's something that he wants to do. He wants to coach football, whatever. So it's like, we found a way to invest in one another and each other's growth and um, we're both we're both doers. We're both really hard workers. We're both that's just kind of our nature. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think we've just found a way to work together. But but there are hard seasons, and it's disappointing. And there are we get frustrated like at three a.m. today. <laughs> um, and you know, yeah. some days you just have to yell and swear and get it out, and you move on to the next day. Yeah. You know, one of the last questions because uh, I I know that we you know we. We certainly have a deadline, uh, but I really want to. I've I found this whole uh, conversation, by the way, incredibly uplifting. <laughs> oh, God, I'm glad. Lifting, <laughs> yeah, incredibly uplifting because uh, it it talked about how you really get through the ups and downs and end up really more in a positive state, not at all by not acknowledging the difficult times that you're going through. But you know, we've talked about Bodhi and we've talked about Ethan. But you have two other boys. I do. And you're right. It's uh, Blake and Chase. Yes. Yes. Ah, so glad I got those two names right. <laughs> and right, I think Blake right now is what, 14 and Chase is 11? Yes, okay. they are. Yep. Now, and these are two, you know, two healthy young men. And, mm-hmm. you know, they've been caught in a lot of turbulence in their lives. So, you know, when we talk about life balance, it isn't only balancing, as you know, uh, the life that your individual life and your life with your spouse, but it says an entire family. And can you talk about the boys and, you know, how they've been navigating through this time and how they are right now? Yeah, you know, I think it's hard. I'll be honest with you. We are always pulled in different directions. One person staying back with Bodhi while the other person goes to watch the track meet or the basketball game. But um, I will say, especially my son, Blake, who's 14, who was around when Ethan was here and now has observed Bodhi. um, You know, my boys are compassionate humans. Like they they're in tune with people. I will. I one of the pieces of guilt that I carry is that my kids have to have this life. I mean, for so long, I was like this. I felt I I felt like I have to make up for the fact that they have a dead brother and a disabled brother, to be frank, you know, and. But now as, as, as they're growing up, I see the kind of people that they are, the men that I want them to be. They're compassionate and kind. They There's a kid that lives down the street from us who has Down syndrome, and he loves to get off the bus and like jet to our house, and he'll just come in and 
just get into the toys and we love him to death and it's awesome when he does it but it's like my boys will play with him and they will be like oh hey here's a toy for you or they'll look out for him and so you know at the end of the day I you can't control what happens to you you can control what you do with it and so mm -hmm. for my boys I want them to be I want and, and also we're Eric and I are very intent on investing in them to be the best that they can be so if they want to play travel sports or they want to get a running coach or they need a tutor like we're going to full-on lean into that because it's not just about Bodie it's also about them but I just hope that you know, many years from now that they will be in roles in this world where they're allowed to help and love people in a different way because of their brothers. And that's the best thing that I can hope for. Well, well, certainly the boys are also a reflection of you and Eric and the work you've done with them. And uh, it's wonderful that they have that sense of compassion because it'll affect a lot of what they do, you know, yeah, in their I lives. So. Uh I want to, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be with us. And one of the things we always ask, because bounce back is all about building resiliency is if, if you have a couple of final takeaways that you can give to our audience that really help build a sense of resiliency. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I created this retail shop, like just kind of randomly, I thought it could just support my nonprofit, but I really, um, I wrote the words heart strong on a napkin in Starbucks, like back in 2017. And, 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 it, and I, as time went on, I was like, and I put it on a shirt and it was way more well-received than I ever thought it would be. And the idea of being heart strong is really something that is so embedded in what I believe in. And this is kind of how, how I've built this brand. It's, we all face challenges. The questions are, who will you become? What will you create? Where will you help? And how will you inspire? Mm -hmm. And so that is my call to everyone because that's what links us as humans. We all struggle. We all have things that are difficult. But the call in them is how can you live heartstrong? How can you grow and help and inspire and share with other people um, your experience? Because that's what's going to link us all together. We're so much more alike than we are similar than we are different. That's uh, those are wonderful words for all of us to live by. And I'd like to before you leave, I'd like the audience to know how they can best contact you and see the work you're doing and hear you hear the messages that you're delivering. Yeah. So I have the Heartstrong podcast, which is wherever you find your podcasts. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Jess M. Lindbergh or at the Heartstrong. I have a website. Our, our nonprofit has a website, too. You can look that up. So all, all those different places. I'm on LinkedIn. Um so we're pretty much everywhere, either Jessica Lindbergh or The Heartstrong. Well, Jessica, I can't thank you enough. Uh, and I also want to thank uh, Eric for uh, helping this become possible today. <laughs> yes. And I want to thank your brother, Joe, who, yes, uh, my brother who, Joe. who really made our introduction. He but, did. Uh, God bless you and your family and continuing the great work that you're doing and continuing uh, with all the wonderful health and uh and support that you're giving to your to all three boys god bless thank you thank you vic thanks for doing this it's a great great opportunity and i think this is a really important topic so thank you you're welcome have a great day thanks for joining me today on the heartstrong podcast you know this podcast is a conversation about how we can create healthy and fulfilling lives by growing through our inevitable challenges so if one of these episodes has spoken to you will you help spread the word by subscribing leaving a review and sharing it with a friend. I know your time is precious. So thank you for sharing it with me today. And just a reminder before I go, your life and your story have great purpose. Don't you forget it. I'll talk to you soon.